Cultural Discipline The regenerate and the unregenerate have differing mainsprings and motives, and their psychologies differ. On the other hand, throughout Christendom, many unregenerate men often display characteristics which seem to be clearly Christian. How shall we account for this? A bastard doctrine of common grace, common to many reformed circles and effectively analyzed and refuted by Cornelius Van Til, holds that all men, believers and unbelievers, share a neutral territory, as a result of which much that is commendable and even in a sense godly can appear in even the unregenerate out of this common ground. But man has neither a metaphysical nor a moral autonomy from God, nor any area of neutral activity apart from God. Since man is totally God's creation, man is at every point confronted by the necessity of submission to God. There are areas of Christian liberty wherein the believer cannot be judged by the church, but he is no less subject to God therein. Paul made this clear with respect to meat offered to idols. While the judgment of men was precluded, that of God is stressed. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans fourteen twenty two through 23 Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Man has no neutral ground, nor any neutral area of thought and activity. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And yet it is clear that in Christian countries we do see behavior on the part of the unregenerate which is in conformity to Christian standards. The answer is cultural discipline. Even in pagan societies, cultural discipline is operative to keep in check the motives of the unregenerate, and to prevent such societies from collapsing into the logical end of their presuppositions. St. Paul made it clear that the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 There is some question as to the meaning of letteth or restrains. Hendrickson commented, Far more difficult to answer is the question, what is meant by that which or he who is now holding him back from becoming revealed as the man of lawlessness? In order to approach this question properly, it is necessary first of all to determine the right translation. In the works of commentators, the verb in question has been translated in three different ways. A. To hold back or restrain. B. To hold or hold fast and C, to hold sway or rule. Beginning with the last, the meaning might then become, and what is now holding sway, namely the mystery of lawlessness, you know, in order that he, Christ, may be revealed in his appropriate season. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only until he who now holds sway, namely Satan, be taken out of the way. We can dismiss this at once. Not only is it hard to fit this meaning into the present context, but also, although the verb is of rather frequent occurrence in the New Testament, not once in any of the other New Testament passages does it have this meaning, to hold sway. The second meaning, to hold fast, and the first, to hold back, to restrain, are closely related, and in the end probably yield the same result in interpretation of the entire passage. With all due respect to a superior commentator, one can ask if Hendrickson's amillennial presuppositions have not led him to dismiss an interpretation which is given support by the fact that verse 8 goes on to speak of the taking away of the power of iniquity. 
The words will let are not in the original, so that as Gloag commented, the meaning, even if restrains is the correct translation, can be best read as follows. The mystery of lawlessness is already working, only until he who restrains is removed. When that takes place, when the restraining influence is removed, the mystery of lawlessness will no longer work secretly, but will be openly manifested. At best, granted the common interpretation, what the text calls attention to is not the triumph of Satan and of the ungodly, but the radical collapse into lawlessness of a culture which is free to pursue the logic of its godlessness. To emphasize any triumph of a supposed satanic order is to misread the purpose of St. Paul's statement. It must be said, rather, that any order in which the principle of unbelief prevails and goes to anything near its logical conclusion has ceased to be an order and is on its deathbed. To hold back the fearful and demonic forces of anarchy, every society, however much in violation of its humanistic faith, has insisted on suppressing the logic of its anarchistic premises. Even more so in Christian societies, the disciplines of family, church, and social life inculcate deeply Christian attitudes in all men, so that not even the radical humanists can construct an ideal order without reflecting their Christian heritage. In their personal lives, such men will reflect the habits and disciplines of Christian civilization even in their rebellion against it. As the rebellion deepens, each successive generation loses more and more of that heritage. It can never divorce itself from it. The Torah translation of Exodus 20, 5 and 6 is very important. For I, the Lord your God, am an impassioned God, visiting the guilt of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This means that though old Israel has forsaken God, and that although Europe and the Americas have forsaken him also, they can no more escape his kindness and the order it imposes than they can escape their guilt and the judgment it requires. The effects of that judgment linger to the third and fourth generation. The law order and cultural discipline of his grace remain to some degree to the thousandth generation. Cultural discipline thus continues habits and standards for a season, after they have been discarded as a faith. If I stop for red lights in traffic and slow down or check my speed at the sight of a traffic officer, this is not evidence of grace in my heart, but of a pragmatic precaution which life in society has made a habit with me. Pragmatic habits are not acts of grace, but rather aspects of cultural discipline. The pragmatic habits of a jungle tribesman are thus not those of an American or an Englishman. Cultural discipline is present in every known society, past and present. It can erode as the faith of the society collapses, but it never disappears entirely. In Christian societies, its erosion is more dramatic, because the society has a greater height to fall from. But the tenacity of that discipline is also greater. Cultural discipline rises and falls in terms of the basic character of men. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. John 3.6